welcome back to the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. So today, we're joined by Andy Wilson, the founder and CEO of Logical. Welcome on the show, Andy. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Andy, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and the story behind Logical. Yeah. Um, so, I've been a, a CEO and founder going on 16 years now. Um, my... Uh, Going way back, my upbringing, I was an army brat, moved all around the world, and uh, got my degree from Virginia Tech. Um, came out of college during the dot-com bust. Uh, had a job with Arthur Anderson that was rescinded because they were burning documents on behalf of Enron, apparently. <laughs> and then uh, fell into this world of, of legal tech. Now I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. Awesome. So, what was the was it was it that rescinded offer? Was that kind of the genesis and the start of you building this company, Logical, or what? What was kind of the, the deal there? Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, you know, the uh, I was going to do computer programming uh, for them, but you know, jobs. I don't know if you're around at the time, but the, the tech jobs were just decimated in Northern Virginia, uh, which is where I was at the time, and a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to come help out with his brother's company. And I said, you know, sure, I'll do anything. I need to get a job. Um, but well, it's, that's a printing company. And I'm like, well, that's not really, that's not really what I went to school for, but sure. Why not? <laughs> um, and so I went over there and, you know, learned about what they were doing. They were printing out these massive volumes of email and, uh, attachment to the paper and loading it onto, trucks and driving those trucks into DC so that lawyers could read the documents, um, which I found hilarious. It makes no sense. Um, but uh, that's how I fell into this whole legal industry. It was just full of inefficiencies. And so if you've got, you know, a more efficient way of doing something and you're entrepreneurial minded, uh, there, there's just a, the world is your oyster um, in the legal in the legal space, so that's why we started the company. <laughs> and what's the quick kind of elevator pitch and, and plug for for the company? Yeah, so the the problem that Logical solves is um, it's specifically for legal teams and investigative teams um, is the growing amount of data, right? Like, you know, what what has uh, what has not changed and will not change in the next you know, 10, 20 years. Uh, and that's the day growth. Like we're getting more emails, more Slack messages, more texts, you know, you name it. Like it's just this piling up of information. Well, um, think about lawyers and investigators. The thing that hasn't changed for them is the deadline. And the deadline doesn't care about that data volume that you have to go through. And so when we, we started thinking about this, we're looking at it on a curve, like, okay, well, data is growing at an exponential rate. And these these uh, professionals need to find this signal in this growing set of noise. And that's going to become uh, really difficult, you know, costly, uh, time-consuming um, if, uh, if, if they don't have the right tools to, you know, cut through that data. So we came up with this idea of like, well, let's, let's build a calling service so that we can help people find the noise. It's the inverse of the problem, right? Let, let's keep people find the noise of data hold that to the side and then the signal or you know, the evidence that they're looking for will present itself and that's basically what it does oh okay interesting and, that, and hence the, the name logic call 
That's right. Yeah. So people drag and drop, you know, I mean, you'd be shocked at what people put into this product. Like it's not uncommon to see customers uh, drag and drop a hundred gigabyte zip file full of 200 gigabytes of email databases and other zip files because they have so much junk that they're trying to filter through. And our service will rip all that stuff out, make it all searchable, organize it in this kind of inventory and, uh, uh, effectively shine a light on it so that you can see what's inside of it very, very quickly. Yeah, that's great. So before we dive into our topic today, which is telling the way your customers want to buy, one thing we always like to ask on the podcast is, uh, what is what is something that no one on listening to this podcast will know about you? Huh. Um, I can't give blood. Uh. Something people don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you the reason why. Yeah, so I was you know, an army brat, and I lived in Germany um, in the in the eighties uh, when it was East West Germany. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you remember the mad cow disease? Yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, so uh, the the U.S. Um, put in a, a law that says anybody that was in Europe in this time period cannot give blood, and it's still a law. You're not allowed to do wow. it because they, yeah, they fear that the mad cow disease is still somewhere hidden in your bloodstream and uh, may pop up. I wasn't. I did not think that was, that was the direction that would go. I thought it might be like a squeamish, like a needle thing, but no, it's uh, legally you actually can't get blood. <laughs> yeah, that legally can't get it. Want to? Right. Want to? That might that might be the best. That might be the best answer I've ever get on this podcast. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's let's dig in here. So let's let's kind of start with a really broad question, right? What do you so from your perspective, and you've been you've been building Growing Logical for quite some time now. What do you, what do you mean when you say selling the way your customers want to buy? Yeah, um, I think this is I think this is a really important uh, topic for especially for early stage founders because you know oftentimes you're gonna think a lot about the problem that you want to solve, usually from a technical perspective, like, oh, I can do that better, right? Or I can do that faster or something like that. And, um, and less time is spent on the business model innovation. Um, and people aren't asking these prospective customers, you know, what they think about the way that they're buying this service that already exists, um, or maybe it's a non-consumption type of thing where they're trying to understand if there's you know, um, a willingness to pay there. They're not spending enough time, you know, thinking about the way the customer would like to buy this. You know, is this price aligned with the value from a customer's perspective? Um, does it make sense to charge on a, you know, uh, on a subscription basis or maybe a consumption basis? Is it you know, annual or monthly or quarterly or, or something else? Um, I don't think enough is done there, uh, and, and I, I think that's primarily because most founders are going to be you know, very technical-minded, and you know, having a conversation about money can be uncomfortable uh, for, mm-hmm. for some people. So there's, there's a couple different pieces to, to pick apart here. So you've got the pricing component. You've also got sort of the sales process piece where, you know, selling the way your customers want to buy, depending on how they're ordered, depending on their decision-making process. Let's start with let's start with the pricing bit. 
Um, so what are, what are some of the more common mistakes you've seen um, SaaS companies make here? And, and these could be you know, mistakes that you, you yourself experienced firsthand. Yeah, I've made quite a, quite a few of them. I mean, you, you learn the most by making these stupid mistakes. <laughs> make, them, make them twice. Um, I, you know, copying what competitors are doing, I think, is really common. Uh, and again, going back to, like, you know, thinking about the business model innovation that may exist, uh, which is really where you can create a competitive advantage. If, if it's true that um, there is an opportunity like that, you know, customers don't like the way it's, per, uh, it's sold. Um, you know, and that's typically like just copying per user pricing. Um, you know, that, that's easy because you can look at, you can, you can figure out what a TAM is by just looking at the headcount on LinkedIn. And say, oh, well, you know, there's, you know, 100 people in this organization, and if we can get all of them and at this price, then this account is that. Um, that, I think, is a very common way of doing things, and, and per user pricing might be the right way to go, but it might not be the right way to go. You know, it could restrict... Uh, some type of network effect that you may have, um, you know, in, in the market. Um, it might be completely counter to the way the customer wants to use the service. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all sorts of, there's all, all sorts of, you know, copycat type, like, uh, pricing models out there. Um, and again, like, you know, thinking about the business model and is there an opportunity to disrupt that uh, might lead to um, much faster growth and more alignment with what the customer actually wants. So, Andy, let's dig into that a little bit. I'm curious to hear, so how do you think about balancing not just, you know, playing copycat on pricing, but while also making sure that you're packaging your product in such a way that people are used to buying and so that it's not some, you know, radical new thing where they don't even really know how to go about um, internalizing it and, and making a buying decision? Uh, hmm. That's a you know, one. a lot of because um, it's, it's one of the things that we we even see with you know with portfolio companies that I work with. It's you want you kind of look to the outside for you know your your comps as to what are the different price points that people are willing to pay. Um, what is you know what is pricing look like today? Um, and and sometimes I, I see that as a point of contention and, and kind of a uh, where where people come to a crossroads as to okay, well, we don't, we don't want to just copy the pricing exactly because it may, be, it may be that there are pieces of that pricing that in and of itself are a pain point for the end buyer. Um, right. While at the same time not going straying too far from reality um, in the sense of then people are kind of lost as to how to go about the, the buying process. Right. Well, you know, it's, I think there's some basic principles to adhere to um, like the way I like to think about pricing is a third grader should be able to figure it out. You know, mm-hmm. it should not be, it should not be complicated, um, at all. You know, it should be basic algebra, um, and you should be able to discuss it uh, freely. And there's so many benefits to that. You know, people are busy. Uh, they want to know, you know, how much something's going to cost so that they can share that information with their team. And if it's an easy explanation, uh, that's great. It becomes a very fast, you know, conversation, but back to the, you know, uh, the business model innovation side, um, you know, sitting down with prospective customers and having these frank conversations around, you know, what do you like about the way that these products are sold today? You know, uh, what do you not like about that? You know, how, where does the money come from? You know, is this something that is budgeted for or is it 
build back to some other department or, or, or matter or ID or something like that, you know, trying mm-hmm. to follow the money. Um, you will get a lot of uh, useful information. There's some good books out there, too, that can help with that. Like there's a, a really good one called Monetizing Innovation that provides a ton of you know, framework questions on essentially trying to figure out what the willingness to pay is. And then mm-hmm. once you have that and you feel good about the number of people you've spoken to about it and you get some unique insight that maybe nobody else has, then you just test it out. You know, controlled mm-hmm. experiment, see what makes sense. And, um, you know, because the conversation is the one thing, the actual data is a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, that piece around really focusing on discovery, especially in the early days, is so, so, so important. And, you know, people talk about it all the time, but talking about it and actually going out and executing it are definitely two different things. Yeah, like we yeah. found in our own, um, and we're, we're constantly doing this, you know, like we have a pretty good model now, but um, when we were doing a lot of this price discovery for a new uh, business model a couple, a couple of years ago, actually, that we, we went through this, um, I was asking this question to a in-house general counsel, and I asked him, you know, hey, um, how do you, you know, when, when you go to procure these kinds of services, who pays for that? And he told me, well, you know, I don't have to go to get budget. I just do it. And then I basically get expensed for it or it goes to some sort of insurance claim. Like, wow. I said, well, if you were to buy this on a subscription level or a software you know, level, like, tell me about that. What would you have to do? He's like, oh, my God, I'd have to build a presentation I'd have to come up with data. I'd have to do comps. I might have to do an RFP, you know, all this other stuff. And he's like, and that's why I don't want to do that. I'd rather mm-hmm. just do this other thing. Um, and the business model that we came up with allowed him to buy it in the same way that he was essentially used to buying it. And if you hadn't asked that question, you may never get access to that kind of insight, which was sounds like pretty critical to actually getting the, the, the deal done. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And that's what I mean by, you know, selling the way your customers want to buy requires a lot of um, discovery and, you know, kind of a beginner's mind. Like, you know, don't come in with your own preconceived notions on the way the customer should buy. You know, just ask the questions. And so last question on pricing, we can kind of shift gears and start and and focus more on the sales process side of things. So as – do you, do you foresee, you know, as SaaS becomes even more and more common and people bring on more and more SaaS vendors and expands to more verticals, do you see this kind of problem going away anytime soon? Or, you know, will potentially customers who used to want to buy a certain way, maybe they just get accustomed to buying SaaS and morph their own buying process towards it so that it's no longer this kind of issue or friction point? Or how, how do you think about that? Uh, well, I thought a lot about that, and I think I, I think there is a world where, you know, far into the future, when you have enough data um, you know, of repetition, like purchases, uses, et cetera, a, a typical SaaS subscription model will will make a ton of sense. Um, mm-hmm. But but don't put the cart before the horse. And the the horse here is you, the data. You need the data. You need the you know, if you if you as an example. Um, there's going to be a massive disruption into the services economy. Like that's a $10 trillion market. You know, people are already working on this. Um, and some people are trying to sell subscriptions and having success. But I would guess that most people that are trying to sell the traditional SaaS way 
with the subscriptions first into a into a services driven economy are going to be met with um, a uh, a big hill to climb, you know, a lot of resistance, and and we saw that too. Like you know, we're in legal space, right? Legal is enormous. It's a trillion dollar mar- trillion dollar market, but it's a services market. They're not used to buying software, you know, but they are used to project level work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, same thing with Uber. Like Uber, you 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 you, uh, you, you hail a taxi with your phone. And you pay for that ride. You know, if they were to if they were to start if they were to start out with a subscription service, no way they would be where they are today. Now they're starting right. to offer that subscription service. I don't know to what mm-hmm. effect. It might be too early, um, but they have enough data to say, hey, you know, on average, you're taking five rides a month. You know, if you go to a subscription and you can pay monthly if you want, um, you'll save X dollars, right? Yeah. But you need the data first, and that's the horse that I'm talking about. And so I think that's where a lot of companies are going to see, um, you know, consumption first, subscription second. I mean, you're mm-hmm. seeing that with Amazon, you know, arguably the, the fastest-growing enterprise software company of all time with AWS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're doing consumption. You, know, you pay by the hour. You pay by, by compute, by storage. And now I'm getting requests. You know, from these uh, Amazon sellers or, or sales reps saying, "Hey, would you like to buy some pre-reserved instances because they know my data, they know what's going on, and they can sell me a better you know subscription model." Um, and for most businesses, a subscription is probably going to be a, uh, a higher valuable form of revenue. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because it is you know because SaaS is is sexy and it, it is it is ever growing and it's. It, it does seem to be some companies just will default to it and kind of force uh, force the issue versus really listening to the customer as to how they want to buy. And then as they get better data on, on what a subscription model could look like, kind of gradually shifting over. Um, so it's certainly important to stay grounded in that and not just kind of jump to conclusions about what you want your business model to look like and really kind of see how the market is taking to it. Yeah, don't fight it. You know, you're just going to yeah. go uphill. You know, yeah. if, once you figure out what the customer really wants, assuming that it's aligned to value and that the more they use it, the more they pay and the happier they are, great. Yeah, so let's shift gears a little bit and talk about selling the, selling the way your customers want to buy as it relates to the sales process. So mm-hmm. for you, you know, what, what comes to mind when you think about creating a sales process that aligns with, with how your customers want to buy Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I break it down. I, I go up another level, like you know, the mission of the company. So, you know, what what what, what are you trying to achieve? What's the mission of these companies? Um, then, what kind of strategy do you need to to achieve that? You know, which will require um, you know the right business model, the right salesperson. Do you need field sales reps? Do you need inside sales reps? Do you need no sales reps? Um, should you take a product led growth approach, or should you take a you know, traditional sales approach with POCs. I mean, that's largely going to depend on the kind of um, customer you're selling to and the solution that you're selling to them. Like, but in general, if you're selling something that is highly complex um, to use, right, where it's just not, it's not uh, good for self-service, um, as an example, you're probably going to need a much higher price point, right? And so your sales playbook is going to be totally different from like a Zoom or a Slack or, 
you know, you name it, um, a traditional SaaS company, uh, where they can take a you know, self-service, free trial approach um, and uh, have the product lead the way, followed up by salespeople. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think it, it very much depends, right? But, and that's why it's so important to understand, like, you know, be realistic about the kind of product you have. If it is a super complex product in a low-tech market that spends a lot of money on some service or something like that, you, you need to be careful to, um, uh, you know, position your, position your product in the right way. You know, it would probably be a disaster to try and make that into some sort of self-service tool as an example. Right, right, right. Yeah, so it definitely depends on the company, the industry, the space, the, you know, the your target ICT and buyer personas. What about, so I'm curious to hear more on kind of a personal note, just thinking back to when you first started Logical, how did you go about shaping your own sales process? Yeah, we originally thought that um, the market was ready for full-blown self-service, you know, and sign up. And this was in 2013 when we launched the product. Um, you know, our history is a little, a little uh, complicated. Like, it wasn't always a SaaS, you know, cloud service. It was a professional service company first um, for about 10, almost 10 years. And then we built the, the cloud service during the recession and launched it in 2013. And our thinking at that time was the market is ready for the cloud. We were totally wrong. Using the word cloud was a really bad idea <laughs> because the lawyers were like, you know, wait a minute, the cloud, that seems unsafe. You know, we shouldn't use that. Um, so we quickly moved away from that. So we were totally wrong on everything. And that's why, you know, I, I know for about for, uh what I wish I had done is done more customer discovery at that time and not put my own beliefs about what I think the market is ready for versus what the, uh, what the customer is actually, um, uh, experiencing. So, <clears throat> sorry, I'm walking and talking right now and just lost my way. Um, hold on. I'm probably going to have to edit that part out. I'm, I'm trying to walk. I tried to walk away from these uh, these two people that were uh, following up on me. You want to re-ask that question? Yeah, well, um, yeah, sure. So let me just think about where we were. Um, so, so we talked about – so sorry, let me just think back. So we talked about how, yes, this varies a lot based on um, the company and based on the industry, based on the buyer. I'm curious, this, from your own experience, how – for when you first were starting Logical, how you went about shaping the, your sales process. So, you know, we started this uh, thinking that the market was ready for the cloud, they were ready for self-service, and uh, we were totally wrong. You know, selling into um, legal, uh, you know, very low-risk, or sorry, a risk-averse type of audience, uh, they were not fans of the word cloud. <laughs> like, this sounds like a terrible <laughs> idea. You know, you want me to upload my client-sensitive data into the cloud? Are you insane? Like, yeah, it's better than putting on your mattress. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it, the irony yeah. was incredibly thick. You know, <laughs> really? Your alternative is what again? Um, but uh, anyway, so you were totally wrong on that. And so we, we, we quickly pivoted to, um, all right, we're going to take more of a high-touch approach, right? We're going to have sales lead the way. And, you know, doing... Um, um, you know, 
discovery calls, proof of concept, you know, pilots and those kinds of things. And that was because of the market, you know, the, the tool was, was actually quite easy to use, but the market perception um, of the cloud and doing this on their own was very foreign um, at the time, you know, and, and now these days, you know, 2020, we're still in the early innings here, but it's totally different than, than it was, you know, seven years ago. You know, the cloud is, is a much more acceptable form, um, a, a place to put, you know, sensitive information. And so I think that's a really interesting point because I, I, would, I would bet a lot of founders find themselves in this position where they have a unique insight in an industry. They can kind of see the, 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 the their vision of where the future is going to be. And that vision may just be a little bit early. And so the product you build yeah. out of that vision, I'm not quite be ready for the audience that you're trying to sell to. Um, that's probably one, you know, big overarching mistake that founders make left and right just because, you know, typically they do have this, this North Star vision of, of where the future is going to be. And then it's just a matter of kind of figuring out the timing and where the market's at. What are some other right. common missteps um, that you see companies make in this regard, right? Like trying to kind of fit that square peg in the round hole um, as it relates to, you know, selling the way your customers want to buy. Uh, you know, getting to, uh, you can get a strong signal from a certain type of, you know, customer. And, and that's back to like doing more customer discovery. If, if you don't do a broad enough um, selection of, of potential customers, you might get eventually negative signal, right? So as an example, mm-hmm. let's say you have, you know, I don't know, some like sales solution um, that you want to sell. And you think broadly that it could be, sold to tech companies and oil and gas companies and government. But if you only talk to tech companies, um, they might say, yeah, this is fantastic and jump at the opportunity to, you know, buy in this new business model that you've come up with and this new technology. Um, but then what happens when, you know, tech goes into the uh, nuclear apocalypse, right? Like funding slows down and these companies go away. Can you really sell this thing outside of tech? Can you go? Can you go to other verticals? Mm. Um, and that goes back to the customer discovery side um, of trying to understand. You know, is it true that this this way of buying is applicable to other types of buyers? You know, outside mm. of this this one group that I'm currently having success in. Mm. Interesting. And so, when we, I have a couple last questions here. When it, when it, as it relates to the sales process, one is really so we talked a lot about discovery and the importance of discovery and, and just kind of getting an honest take on how people want to buy today and not forcing your hand based on, you know, what you want this to look like, what you, what you think the, the future state is going to be. Are there any other tips you have for aligning your sales process with, with the buyer's preferred process? Um, and really kind of both as, as you're getting started in, in your early days as, as well as, as you scale. Yeah, um, I think, you know, I think a lot of folks are going to be building out cloud fast like tools for services businesses because um, that's, that's the next big opportunity. And they're going to want to um, have ways to create really compelling data points so that they can convince the powers that be that they should buy this, you know, new service to 
take away this old service or, um, you know, do this new thing. And so that means things like uh, pilots, free trials, obviously, um, you know, maybe even free usage, depending on, you know, how the tool is deployed. Uh, that's been super helpful for us because we are, we, we're replacing a lot of different things in the um, kind of supply chain of legal. Right? It used to be outsourced to the uh, highly expensive middlemen that would you know, process data. Now it's all done. And then the law firms used to do a lot of this work themselves. Now it's being done via in-house. And so, you know, for us, we need to gather as much data on where did the money go before logical mm-hmm. and then what happened after, right? And you can only do that in, in a very experimental way. Um, and usually that's in like a, you know, 30-day, 90-day type of, of proof of concept uh, to, you know, gather that information compile it for the customer. I'm a big fan of never giving the customer homework, you know, do that work for them, you know, build the, build the decks, um, build the talk tracks, all that stuff, you know, so that your champion can uh, do the selling internally for you um, Mm -hmm. because everybody's busy, you know, the job of sales is creating new value, right? For, for customers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that would, that would be something I would, I would highly recommend uh, people do. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, not putting the homework on them and arming your champion, especially when as you as your ACDs go up, it it is it does take multiple stakeholders to get a deal done, and you may not always get to be in the room when your champion is presenting to that you know buying committee for product X Y Z, and so that's kind of your best chance to really influence that and make sure they're prepared. It's just you know do it do it for them. Um, Yeah, and then I also do like the point of you know, pilots for transfer usage. Obviously, it's not going to be possible for everyone depending on the product, but anything you can do to arm your customer with with, value, with the data points and proof, you know, proof of getting real value out of it just makes their own kind of internal selling that much easier. That's right. And usage, like, I'll add that, like, we've, we've gone from, you know, selling uh, traditional subscriptions up front, right, you know, annual contracts, typical staff, mm-hmm. to consumption uh, first. Because, it, you know, in my experience, like what we found is we start doing more and more of this discovery and realizing, you know what, like, let's figure out the way a customer truly wants to buy. Um, and, and what we discovered is, you know, customers absolutely love this usage-first model because mm-hmm. you're not trying to play the guesswork around pricing and packaging. You know, right. how much data, how much projects, whatever it is that you're bundling, you don't really have to guess because you actually have the usage data. And what we've noticed is that customers buy a lot more and they're a lot happier because they don't feel like they're buying too much and they don't feel like they're buying too little. Yeah, that's interesting, especially as we think about, you know, ver- vertical SaaS, right? And, and as companies are, are going into spaces where SaaS hasn't typically been a, a standard product that people purchase, right? Like there's plenty mm-hmm. of industries that are a bit more antiquated. Sounds like legal being one of them, um, and that just makes the packaging equation that much trickier because you're you don't you know you you can figure out your cost and, and where the budget's coming from in terms of kind of what product you're going to be replacing, um, but the actual packaging and pricing of that can look can look very different. Um, yeah. So I, it's you know, keeping it simple, keeping it kind of third grade math and um, leading with free usage, it sounds like that's, that's a good tactic to actually simplify it down. So 
that you're not throwing you know a million things on a rate card and and sending them Excel sheets with crazy discounting matrices and whatnot. So I like that a lot. Absolutely, yeah. And that usage first, um, you know, that and you can wrap ROI around that. Uh, it's it's huge. Like we've we've closed seven figure deals on free or very uh, low price, you know, pilots, just because like it was so easy to do that versus trying to sell some kind of, you know, subscription first um, uh, model. Like we're talking like 30, 60 days to close the initial deal. And then, you know, two or three months after that, buying a much, much larger uh, deal. And have you found just as a, as, you know, as a CEO and founder of your business, have you found any, any downsides to that model in terms of, um, you know, ability to predict the model out, what your revenue is going to look like and, and all of that? Or do you feel like once you, once you kind of use this model and, and get traction, you end up with plenty of data um, to make those uh, forecasts anyways? Yeah, I think early on, um, predicting revenue growth uh, under a usage consumption, depending on how, how it works, you know, um, you know, it's going to be different for every company. It's challenging, right? Um, you might not have enough customers. Might not have get much data points, but you know, if you have a lot of customers, a lot of data points, and the aggregate becomes very predictable, uh, mm-hmm. very predictable, like clockwork. It, it looks almost like um, traditional fast recurring revenue, uh, you know, on a month to month basis, or maybe quarter to quarter. It looks a little bit smoother because you're going to see kind of peaks and valleys, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and that's the other thing. You got to align your sales reps in the right way, right? So if you have if you have a customer base that just does not want to buy subscription, at least at the beginning, because you're selling into, you know, some vertical or services-driven economy, um, and they're not used to buying subscription yet, you're, you you want to make sure that your sales reps are appropriately aligned to that. And what I've noticed, and I had this in my own company, um, we had to change it. I noticed that what people end up doing is they slap on a traditional SaaS compensation plan into a consumption um, model, and that's a bad idea um, in general. I think that's a really bad idea. Um, you know, and what we did is we give a percentage of revenue, you know, on the consumption. Well, what ends up happening is you take hunters and they immediately become farmers, and so your logo acquisition is going to go down. Your revenue might go up, um, but your your logo acquisition is going to go down. And as the early days you know, the startup, um, logo acquisition is probably, assuming you've got good retention, it's probably more important than, mm-hmm. uh, you know, growing accounts. You know, you can do that mm-hmm. with customer success, et cetera. So there's, there's different, you have to apply the right compensation model for the right uh, business model. Right. Kind of a yeah, dog comment, but, you know, not obvious. Yeah, it's true, right? Like, you, you want to make sure you're incentivizing the right behavior um, because, um, obviously, you know, it has a direct impact on, on the activities that salespeople are going to focus on. And I think the other interesting piece with the free, with, with the usage model is that it actually, it does buy you a bit of forgiveness at the beginning. Instead of a, you know, standard SaaS model where you, you sell them this, you know, annual contract and the clock starts ticking and it's kind of use it or lose it. And maybe they don't even use their full tier or band or number of seats or whatever they, you know, whatever they purchase. Instead, it, it, it gives them almost a little bit more ramp time. Right to like get comfortable with the product and um, and start really realizing the full value of it. 
So I'll wrap Absolutely. up here with my last question on the sales process, is, um, which is an important one, is how do you balance really driving urgency in your sales process while also mm-hmm. respecting the customer's buying process and, and the way that they want to buy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a tricky one. It's never, you got to balance the, the, the doing the right thing, right? You know, the, the, um, what you want versus what the customer wants. <laughs> not always aligned. Um, I do think I do think a lot of this is driven by compensation plans. Um, I'm a big fan of having a monthly uh, component plus a quarterly component, you know, for accelerators. Um, that drives a, a faster tempo, and I've seen that across all deal sizes, not just you know kind of a low inside sales model. I think it can apply to uh, enterprise deals as well if you, if you structure it right. So, you know, I think it starts with the compensation model and making sure that you have the right incentives in place. And, of course, you've got to have the right people with the right ethics um, at, you know, table stakes uh, to do this stuff. But when it comes to uh, driving urgency with the customer, you know, to get them to move and sign an order form or do a deployment, I think, number one, that starts with the champion. And um, if you don't have a strong champion, forget about it. They're just going to sit on their ass. Um, yeah. And so, you know, building up a champion, I mean, people have written books on that stuff, right? Like, there's, uh, there's a lot of work that goes into that. But part of building up that champion is arming them with this homework. And some of that homework should be metrics. You know, everybody knows there's a medic, there's a med-tick methodology. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the M stands for metric or money. Um, and that's really important. You know, you need to understand what is the value metric that your particular product or service is going to help these people achieve. Um, not every company runs on OKRs like Silicon Valley, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got to help find that, you know, for them. Yeah. And then if you can help find that, then you can say things like, well, every day that you're not using this, you're losing this, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're not able to gain right. this. And so you can create a fear of loss, uh, which is going to be, um, you know, much more powerful than uh, gain. Um, mm-hmm. So you want to try and create that, that fear of loss using the metrics. The, the last thing that I think has been helpful is um, give, 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 right, in the negotiation process. And we do this um, almost on every large deal, and we do it, and, and we try and do it in the best way possible that aligns with customers and what they want. And so the process is simple. It's like, hey, you know, uh, we want to get this deal done as soon as possible, because we've identified that we're going to be able to save you X, Y, or Z, right? Um, and every day it goes by, you're going to lose out on that. Um, and so obviously it's in your best interest, but to make sure that we are aligned and we can get you guys going as soon as possible, if you can sign by this date, um, I can get you more of X, right? Mm-hmm. And that's more value for them. And you've you already done the value discovery, so you know, like, they want they want more seats, they want more data, they want a module or tool or something. Don't give away a farm, but give right. something in order to get and get approval from them that they can actually do that before you give that. Otherwise, you're going to negotiate against yourself. Yeah. Um, and that uh, that helps drive urgency all the time. I mean, it's it's not you know it's not sure sure surefire way of you know getting deals done faster, but I know that it it definitely helps. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I think it's the, the really important piece you mentioned there as well is kind of going back to the discovery process and going back to, you know, what is it that they care about? And not just kind of throwing out a discount 
for the heck of it, but really figuring out is it is it is it a is it a budget issue? Is it a number of seats issue? Is it a you know maybe they want to pay quarterly instead of upfront? Kind of digging into that just gives you that much more leverage to have those those get 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 conversations. Um, yeah. What yeah. Andy, I've I've certainly learned a ton. You know, we've covered a lot of ground. Any any final thoughts, tips, and tricks or tricks you want to share with folks to to summarize? Yeah, I, I t- we've talked a lot about business model, you know, sales motions, alignment around that stuff. I, I'd say it's really important to not forget about the mission, you know, the why. Like, why are you doing this in the first place? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's. I did this talk at Sasser a couple of years ago, and, you know, kind of my, my ultimate learning was uh, don't put the business model in front of them, uh, ahead of the mission, right? Mm-hmm. Like, don't make, don't make some reason why you exist um, you know, mm-hmm. and think about that mission and then break down that mission um, and figure out what business model needs to exist in order to deliver on that mission. And that might be a subscription service. That might be a consumption service. It might be something else. Um, mm-hmm. So I kind of work backwards from that. And I think um, that will naturally help you um, think about a customer first buying process um, so that you don't, you know, put your own model in front of, you know, really what the customer wants. Yeah, I love that. Great. Well, thank you so much, Andy, for coming on the show. We, we love having you. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks a lot.